International Brotherhood of Teamsters was formed in 1903 by the merger of the Team Drivers International Union and the Teamsters National Union. Made up of blue-collar workers, the organization has been one of the most visible and at times militant forces in the fighting for the rights of its members. Today, that organization is headed by General President Sean O'Brien, who has made a splash in his early leadership by negotiating new labor deals and setting standards for future labor deals among unions. Most noteworthy was a tentative agreement recently reached with UPS that seemingly sided very much with union demands. However, towing the hard line against LTL carrier Yellow, the Teamsters also showed no mercy, even putting this image on social media, which proved to be telling, as one week later, Yellow ceased operations. What kind of force are the Teamsters moving forward, and what does this mean for Amazon, a company certainly in the sights of Teamsters leadership? We'll discuss that and more next on FreightWaves Presents. And welcome to FreightWaves Presents. I'm Bill Priestley. The initial philosophy of the International Brotherhood Teamsters was written in 1903 and states, Let each member do his duty as he sees fit. Let each put his shoulder to the wheel and work together to bring about better results. Let no member sow seeds of discord within our ranks, and let our enemies see that the Teamsters of this country are determined to get their just rewards and to make their organization as it should be, one of the largest and strongest trade unions in the country now and beyond. The Teamsters have made agreements with smaller entities, ArcBest and T4 Trucking this year, but all of that has built up to negotiations with UPS that had a 12.01 a.m. deadline on August the 1st. That deadline was met by more than a week with a successful negotiation by the Teamsters to a tentative agreement. But take a look at union members in recent history. The unions show membership at an almost unprecedented low over the course of the past 30 years compared to the non-union membership in the LTL sector. It certainly paints a different picture than an organization on the rise. And with that, let's take a look at how the Teamsters have done in most recent history and how we're looking forward to their behavior possibly in future negotiations. Joining us, two people that have covered the Teamsters fairly extensively over the course of the last year or so. Rachel Premack, our editorial director, coming to us from New York, and Mark Solomon, senior writer from Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for joining us here. Um, Rachel, let me start with you. I guess I mean, it wouldn't be prudent to really talk about the, te- the Teamsters pre-Sean O'Brien. So with that, how would you characterize uh, his leadership so far as obviously he's come in, he's wanted to make a big splash, and he certainly has. Yeah, so Sean O'Brien has actually described himself as militant, you know, in several different occasions. He's definitely... His his angle into Teamsters is definitely to, um, you know, push companies a little bit further than what they had been previously offering to workers over the past several decades. Um, it's it's in and it's something we're seeing in other unions as well. We've seen with um the United Auto Workers in Detroit that also their leadership is certainly um you know pivoting to looking how to gain more wins for workers rather than you know trying to work with the companies to come up with deals that are economically beneficial for you know those corporations mark sean had his first real big test going up against ups and trying to get a bigger piece of the pie from a very large financial giant Uh, how do you characterize his leadership so far well, Sean is what I call the anti-Hoffa. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa ran the Teamsters until 19, or excuse me, until 2022. He started in 1998. 
He was considered by many to be a conciliatory leader, always willing to try to strike middle ground between labor and management. Uh, a lot of the Teamster uh, rank and file found that um, difficult to swallow after a number of years. And in Sean, they get a fourth generation Teamster. Uh, Hoffo was not a, you know, how you call it, get your hands dirty Teamster. He was a lawyer. Uh, O'Brien drove a truck. So O'Brien positioned himself as a man of the people. And somebody who would, basically one of his um, pet lines throughout the UPS talks was, quote, the concession stand is closed. So, again, you're, you're dealing with somebody who came at this uh, a lot differently than his predecessor. And right. the times are the man. Uh, the last time a UPS contract was negotiated was 2018. There was no COVID. There was no inflation. Uh you have a different world now. You had you didn't have the supply chain bottlenecks that that plague our industry. So uh, Hoffa disappeared, and you have a new person who's sort of right for the times. And the Teamsters are riding a crest of popularity. Organized labor in general is riding a crest of popularity. So you know, yeah. much will be seen in the terms of the ratification of the UPS contract. Absolutely. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, Rachel, how much do you think of O'Brien's uh, strategy at this point was linked to the, some of the things that that uh, Mark just mentioned there? Obviously, when you go through the pandemic and then you go through stimulus and then you go through people staying home and all of a sudden there's not enough jobs and all of a sudden it's $15 an hour if you want to get hired at McDonald's as opposed to you know half of that uh, that before. And then more people getting better jobs, benefits, pay rising, uh, you know, very, very much so. And maybe O'Brien looking at that as well as other unions and saying when those negotiation times come around, we're going to take our part of the pie there as well. We're going to get massive increases here as well. Was that a big effect, do you think, on his negotiating tactics? Yeah, definitely. I think when when you look at um, how people are have just been talking about and thinking about labor in these past few years, there's definitely been a lot of conversations around how can we make sure people are paid more? How can we make sure these jobs are decent? Especially, you know, looking at the labor shortage that we saw, uh, particularly directly after COVID. I think I think people started realizing more, oh, maybe people don't want these jobs because they're not good jobs. So how do we make these jobs better for people who would be, um, you know, the, the kinds of people who would take those jobs? So when you look at, as Mark kind of mentioned, uh, when you look at the opinion among Americans uh, about labor unions, that's actually reached um, a, one of its highest its highest point in the last few decades. But then you contrast that with the percentage of Americans actually in a union. It's one of the lowest we've seen um, since at least the 1980s. So it's it's a really interesting kind of contrast where you do see more and more people supporting unions and liking unions, but fewer and fewer people are actually part of unions. Mark, same question to you. How much do you think of Sean O'Brien's tactics? Certainly in the UPS situation, were dealt out of the fact that, again, they saw lots of people making lots more money and uh, getting lots more benefits and, and reaping the benefits of there being less of a workforce and, and getting more of, the pick, more of the piece of the pie uh, that the Teamsters and, and unions across the country eventually wanted to do in their, in their own negotiations. Well, I think that 
uh, worker performance and worker sacrifice during COVID was a critical component to changing the mindset of Americans towards labor. But to Rachel's point about labor involvement, it, it should be remembered that five years ago when the Teamsters voted on the last UPS contract, less than half of the membership voted. You had even less involvement when uh, the Teamsters were running their last general election to replace Hoffa. This was going to be a, a milestone event. Hoffa was stepping down after a quarter of a century. You were going to have new leadership for the next five years, and yet turnout was very low. I, I think there's a lot of support for organized labor's position in light of the pandemic and all the supply chain challenges we've confronted, but it hasn't translated into what I would consider tremendous a tremendous boost in participation. Now, I think what we'll see with this upcoming ratification vote is whether that changes. They're, they're, the Teamsters trumpeted uh, tremendous unity, uh, tremendous collaboration. Uh, we'll see what happens as the vote, as the ballots go out, because there you have a three-week process. Um, I, again, I think that the Teamsters have to show that their direct on-the-street involvement can follow the, the American people's more favorable outlook towards organized labor. Those are, those are definitely great points there. All right, let's get to our last question here. Uh, first few, Rachel, obviously mixed feelings among the rank and file, uh, as you mentioned already, certainly within yellow. Uh, UPS, as Mark has mentioned, uh, it'd be hard not to see them pass this particular deal. Now, as we kind of look forward, what do you think these two episodes, again, plus Arc Best and plus T-Force, which have already negotiated their contracts, what does this say to Amazon workers? Because obviously that is an area where the Teamsters have started to make some progress in trying to get into that universe. How does this feel as this moves forward? Does it have momentum? Does it, is it going to continue to move forward as far as Amazon is concerned, as far as labor is concerned, or because of the, shall we say, the, uh, the, the problems that Yellow faced and, and the calamities that perhaps were brought on partly by the Teamsters, if not, of course, by Yellow itself, uh, that it would be something that would be frowned upon by people thinking that it's that a Teamsters or a union job might be good. What does this mean for future pr uh, progression uh, for a union? Yeah, it's interesting. And Mark can certainly speak more to the UPS side. But, you know, everything that happened with the, you know, the, the sort of, you know, you could say positive and, you know, strife free negotiations with uh, T-Force and ABF, um, those... Those are kind of, even though those are, you know, large Teamsters contracts, I don't think those were really contracts and negotiations that were, you know, outside of, you know, publications like Freightwaves got a lot of coverage. ABF, T-Force, Yellow, these are companies that are really known by the larger public. And as a result, it's hard for me to really imagine that a lot of, you know, rank and file or, you know, potential rank and file Amazon workers would you know, be thinking about yellow or T-Force or ABF when it comes to, you know, whether they'd want to join the union or not join the union. Um, but it is it is really interesting to kind of think about all of this because 
a lot of Sean O'Brien's motivations from what we understand is that his sort of negotiations with UPS and that kind of, you know, pretty public battle with the company that was certainly supposed to uh, signify to Amazon workers, you know, UPS is a good company to work with. You, or Sorry, Teamsters is a good union to work with. Teamsters is someone that will fight for you and fight for your rights. But one sort of interesting development here, I I saw that uh, Chris Smalls, who, you know, is a very uh, influential former Amazon worker who was involved with uh, organizing Amazon workers and striking at the Staten Island facility, you know, I did see, this is, of course, you know, one one sort of uh, blip, but you know, I did see his tweets kind of saying that it was a disappointment that UP that Teamsters didn't strike at UPS and that they should have pushed even harder. So I do think there's going to be, no matter what happens, there's always going to be people who are saying, you know, let's go further, let's you know push even more, and whether or not Amazon workers think that Teamsters is that organization that will push harder and push for their rights we'll have to see, you know, as further organizing attempts uh, go forward. Mark, your thoughts on uh, the Teamsters and Amazon? Is this what, what we've seen in the past uh, several weeks and months going to be a positive for Amazon workers that would like to see the Teamsters perhaps to be a little bit more of a presence there? I think Amazon workers, and this is just an educated guess on my part, will look mm-hmm. at the agreement and say, hey, this is something we should take into consideration the Teamsters want Amazon warehouse workers organized. And I think O'Brien had this in the back of his pocket that that whatever came out of the UPS agreement would resonate with Amazon workers. I think uh, the Teamsters can take this agreement and do will generate momentum to try to organize an Amazon. I mean, Amazon is vulnerable. It can be, uh, you know, with, with the right amount of pressure, they can be uh, organized. Yeah. And that, there's nothing that stops it. And I think that's going to be the next battleground. It certainly looks like it's going to be. Mark Solomon and Rachel Primack, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Rob. And now joining us is Bruce Chan, who is Director of Global Logistics and Future Mobility at Stifle Financial, as he joins us to talk about the Teamsters. Bruce, you've had a chance to listen in a little bit. Uh, first off, your reaction to anything you've heard and uh, anything that uh, that stands out to you so far? Hey, Bill. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, really great to be here. Um, you know, some really great and insightful comments, I think, from, from both um, Mark and Rachel. Um, you know, they brought up a lot of good points, I think, about uh, you know, their characterization of O'Brien and, and some of the pressures that we have right now on um, not just, you know, Teamsters and folks working in the transport and logistics industry, but I think also in the population writ large. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Amazon and the potential for unionization and organization there. Um, one thing that I'll bring up, which, you know, I didn't really hear talked about was the potential for organization at FedEx. Um, FedEx is going through some pretty significant changes right now that have the potential to open it up for more, um, you know, potential uh, unionization than than ever before. And that, of course, is also a very big target. Um, I think there are a lot of FedEx drivers right now that are looking at what their brethren on the package delivery side at UPS have achieved or are achieving and, um, you know, maybe thinking similarly. 
That's definitely a good point there. Obviously, FedEx with that independent contractor model, a little bit different way to try to to get in there, but to, you certainly have the opportunity to try and bring those groups there together as well. Um, let me just go back a little bit of the history and your uh, exposure and 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 involvement, or rather, just involvement with the Teamsters uh, in terms of what you've seen. How different is this organization, say, coming up in you know, the last few years, obviously through pandemic, through stimulus, through now post-pandemic, how much different is this organization, especially in the last year, perhaps, than it has been previous? I think it's pretty different. Um, but it, again, I'll just go back and say that I think a lot is also different about the underlying you know, labor market and employment market today as well. Um, you know, if we look at Sean O'Brien, and I, I don't want to dwell on it too much just because I think Mark and, and Rachel gave us so much insight there, uh, but they're absolutely right. He's much more of a, you know, populist hardliner. Um, he was elected for a reason, though. And, um, you know, he, he made those reasons um, very apparent, but he was elected for the for a reason. So I think, you know, ultimately, um, the, the character and the nature of this organization today is coming from, you know, the grassroots level. It's coming from the rank and file. It's coming from the membership. You know, they are feeling this pressure. Uh, we have a few things, a few situations, a few, um, you know, themes that are uh, percolating, you know, through the labor market right now that we haven't necessarily seen for a while. Um, you know, Mark brought up some really good points in the post-pandemic period with, you know, a lot of the reliance on workers, a lot of the sacrifices that um, some of these frontline folks had to make. Uh, but we're also in a market that's seeing you know, three and a half, 3.6% uh, headline unemployment in, you know, what is uh, a freight trough at the bottom of the cycle. You know, even on a, on a U6 basis, you know, we're looking at 6.9% unemployment. And, you know, if you look back to close to the peak of the market in 2018, um, you know, unemployment was actually even a little bit higher at that point. So there's quite a bit of uh, pressure on wages, on employment. I think, you know, the rank and file feel that bargaining power. Um, I'd also point out, too, that a lot of these workers are seeing uh, significant inflation. And, you know, I think these are the, the folks that uh, probably experience the inflation, you know, on a relative basis more than others. And because of that, you know, they're seeing their spending power go down and there's also more pressure on, on wages as well. Let me throw up a chart that we had up uh, earlier to consider the difference in new union versus non-union. There we go. The union versus non-union uh, relationships there. And right now, uh, union membership, this is just in the LTL community, um, having seen maybe half of that percentage is going maybe course closer to 30 to 25% is union-based. This is just an LTL um, versus non-union at this point. Obviously, we're talking about, you know, if you're if you're mentioning um, that the rank and file are the ones also that coming from this grassroots level to make the Teamsters a bit more of a formidable organization. Uh, externally, it looks like that may not necessarily be happening in terms of membership, at least certainly inside the LTL community. Um, what do you say to, to, the, to the membership of the fact that the numbers are down, the morale is obviously well up? Yeah, that's a, it's a great point and a very fair one, but I think it's a, kind of a complicated one. Uh -huh. And if I had to simplify it as much as possible, I'd say that the decline in membership has more to do with the competitiveness of union companies than it does with um, you know, the, the uh, interest or desire um, for you know, workers to organize. If you look back to the post-deregulation period, you know, 1980, um, the percentage of union companies in the LTL business was something like 80 plus percent union. And if you look through the bankruptcies over the years, um, most of the companies that have gone out of business have been union companies. That's, of course, put more pressure on existing union companies, 
who up until very recently uh, bore liability for a lot of the orphan pension plans in the central states fund, for example. Um, so they only got relief um, from, from that fairly recently. Uh, but I think, you know, when you look at it from a corporate level, a management level, one of the reasons why companies like FedEx, like Amazon, want to stave away the unionization as much as possible is because unionization does come with quite a significant uh, operating cost um, you know, premium. Um, we've estimated that it's as much as 30%, maybe even a little bit more when you factor in the full impact of wages and, and benefits and uh, work rules changes. Um, there are some very explicit work rules uh, that are a part of union contracts that, of course, non-union carriers do not have to abide by. Things like, um, as we've seen with the yellow and, and uh, ABF contracts, drivers you know, being able to get out and unload freight if there's not a dock worker available to do that. Uh, things like that are much more restrictive at union companies. Um, when we think about the percentage of outsourced PT miles, um, those are capped in union labor contracts to, of course, preserve union jobs. But again, when we see swings in the business cycle, swings in the freight cycle, that does grant less flexibility to those union companies. So all but really the most efficient ones, I think, have found it very, very difficult um, to operate through business cycles. Um, you know, UPS, of course, is an extremely efficient company. And, um, you know, that's been to their benefit. So UPS has found a way to make it work. But, you know, looking at smaller companies that don't have the benefit of being in a, you know, duopolistic market, um, it's been it's been much harder for, for those union companies to survive uh, relative to their non-union peers. Let me go back to this a very famous tweet that, uh, that Sean O'Brien put out. Of course, it was a week prior to Yellow's demise. And, of course, he puts up on a tombstone. Uh, that uh, 99-year uh, lifespan, if, if it was, of Yellow going from uh, 1924 to 2023. Again, he, he probably, I mean, it was it was obviously a bold move at that particular point, perhaps knowing what was going to happen anyway. But I want to contrast that as well with the reaction, or actually, I guess, maybe not the reaction, but the response that the Teamsters had with central states in terms of giving Yellow another 30 days to stay on board. Now, of course, Central State says you have to make a deal during that time for us to keep this going. Um, but uh, how do you look at the Teamsters just, I mean, as, as an organization, as it looks at, it tried to keep the peace pretty well, yet was also ruthless in what it wanted to get. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to strike the perfect balance, but, um, you know, they certainly had a, a point. Um, you know, I think on the one hand, Right. Of course, they want to preserve um, 22,000 union jobs, 30,000 jobs overall. Of course, you know, in a perfect world, they'd want Yellow to survive as a going concern. Uh, but I, I think, you know, they certainly had a point when they point to, you know, the history of, of Yellow and the concessions that um, they had granted the company. And, you know, what, in our view, was likely to be continued slow bleed and an ultimate demise, even if, you know, agreement was reached or if they had, um, you know, uh, gotten approval for uh, phase two of the uh, change of operations and managed to renegotiate with lenders, you know, we still think the company would have been on pretty precarious financial footing. So, um, you know, it was a balance they had to strike. And, you know, at a certain point, you do have to say enough is enough. Yeah, definitely there as well. All right. So let's take a look forward here. Obviously, you mentioned uh, we've already talked about Amazon a little bit. You brought FedEx into the conversation as well. Uh, right now, if you're the Teamsters, if you're looking at you've got a lot of momentum here. The negotiating period for these two big deals over at this point. What's next on your list if you're if you're looking to try and and move forward here? Obviously, you're not speaking for the organization, but but what perhaps looks like a, a fertile ground at least to to start looking. Yeah, it, it's um, hard for me to say. Um, I'm looking in from the outside, sure. Um, and there are many many divisions 
um, and, and subgroups within the Teamsters organization. Uh, but certainly in, you know, the freight world and the package world, as you pointed out, uh, FedEx and, and Amazon, I think, are two very, very big, very, very juicy targets. Um, you know, they both have reasons why, you know, workers, you know, may be seeing a lot of, you know, pressure on, on their costs and on their spending and seeing, you know, UPS Teamsters get more money. Some of their LTL um, compatriots get more money. And uh, I think the pump is primed at, at both of those organizations. Unclear on, you know, which ones the Teamsters decide to target first. Uh, I would imagine they take them in turn. Um, just given, you know, the resources that would be involved in, in legal battles of both. But, you know, who knows? There's plenty of momentum, as you pointed out. So let's look outside the box and and in terms of looking back inside the Teamsters at this point. As you look at, say, if you are a FedEx, if you are an Amazon, if you are a large carrier or a large person, perhaps in the transportation industry, uh, that may be seeing some kind of possibility of organization here. Or maybe you're seeing it just because the Teamsters perhaps aren't targeting you as well. What are you looking at and, and, and in terms of also the fact that this is an organization, again, right now, at least it seems, that has a lot of momentum and, again, momentum and, um, I guess, concern from, as you mentioned, the rank and file as well as the leadership? Yeah, well, Bill, I, you know, if I understood your, your question correctly, um, from the perspective of, of the management teams from the corporations, I think ultimately, uh, you know, this is a, a pretty simple um, relationship. I mean, this is labor versus um, shareholders or, or corporate management. And it's about the balance of power between them. Um, historically, you know, especially in, in recent times with all the consolidation that we've seen in um, really the, the entire swath of the economy, but certainly within freight transportation as well, you know, that balance of power has shifted in favor of, um, you know, the, the corporation of, of management of shareholders. But, you know, because of the conditions that we're seeing right now in the labor market, you know, we do have I think um, more bargaining power in the hands of, of labor, especially organized labor, and they're going to push for what they want. Typically, that's higher wages, but it may also involve better working conditions. So at the end of the day, if you are company management, you know, the way that you save off unionization, it is by having happy workers, by paying them more, by having, you know, um, I think more aligned uh, interests, whether that be through you know, profit sharing, uh, you know, share ownerships, options programs. Um, and whether it just be through, you know, culture and employee engagement, um, you know, things as simple as making sure their voices are heard, surveyed, feedback, um, you know, uh, morale building uh, events, company barbecues at the, at the freight dock. I mean, all <laughs> these, I think, factor in to creating a good experience for workers and happy workers are not likely to be workers that want to pay extra money out of their paychecks to union dues. But if it gets down to it, I think that's something that a lot of them will be willing to do. And I think a perfect example of this is the gold standard in LTL, which is Old Dominion. You know, we hear about all the millionaire drivers that Old Dominion has minted through its incredible profitability, but it hasn't just given that profitability back to shareholders. They've also invested in their workforce and made sure that, you know, people were paid at or certainly, um, you know, above in, in many cases, um, you know, top of the pay scale, that employees are happy, that they've built a very cohesive culture, that employees are hurt. So again, I think that is ultimately the key. Got about a minute and a half left here, Bruce. Um, just kind of going dovetailing off of that point, as you look at the situation in terms of the fact that the Teamsters were able to do these deals, or do, do at least the UPS deal, and then conjure whatever outcome they were desiring out of the yellow situation at this particular point, we're in a down market. And so maybe you're looking at those other companies and saying, we really don't have the money at this particular point to make those kinds of moves. Or maybe they do, perhaps. But given that there's not as much mobility, perhaps, on the corporate legis uh, leadership level there as well. Um, is this perfect timing for the Teamsters to make moves? 
Um, it, it's certainly pretty good timing. I mean, I yeah. think especially in, in certain markets like LTL and parcel, um, you know, even though we're in a, in a down market close to the trough of the freight cycle, um, these companies are still enjoying record or very close to record profitability. If you, you know, obviously look at what's going on around right now, things seem a little bit, you know, dim and dire, but you look at these profitability levels and, you know, relative to pre-pandemic, obviously 2021 and 2022 were fluke years. But if you look at pre-pandemic, um, even at, you know, peak years, um, we're still at, or certainly very close to uh, peak profitability. So the money is there, um, but you know, nobody's going to give it away for free. Absolutely. So I yeah. think the pressure has to get to a, a, a boiling point. It has to reach ahead, you know, before it is paid out. Gotcha. And I think Bruce, that's Bruce, what I'm going to have to cut you off there, unfortunately, because we're probably running out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. All right. Thank you. In some ways, the Teamsters organization looks like it was, it has a full head of steam ready to take on some of those larger employers in the country, as we just talked about. On the other hand, lower numbers and an increasing percentage of workers becoming non-union over the course of the last 30 years is reason not to jump to conclusions. It seems like out of 120 years, the Teamsters might have struggled in popularity up until last year. With labor earnings sentiment with American voters, uh, labor has not had such a strong voice in a long time. That's going to do it for this edition of FreightWaves Presents. I'm Bill Priestley. Join us next time when we'll jump into the world of warehousing, a part of the supply chain that has been flipped on its head in the last three years. What is making the water so choppy in this area, and does your strategy change? That's next time on Freight Waves Presents.